0: Well, let me invite you to take your Bibles and turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. We are nearing the end of our series. We've been walking through this letter uh, for a few months together now. Now we are, the finish line is in sight. We are in the last chapter of the book, 1 Peter chapter 5. If you want to use one of the blue Bibles in the pew in front of you, you can find the passage on page 1119, 1119. This morning, we're going to be looking at the first five verses of chapter 5, focusing in mainly on the first four, but we're going to touch on number five and hear more about that next week. 1 Peter chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. So I exhort the elders among you, as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. This is the word of the Lord. Well, this morning, we live in a time where many people have a negative view of leaders. And that's true for leaders of all kinds in all settings, Leaders in government, leaders in companies, leaders of schools and organizations, and yes, even leaders in the church. In our society, we tend to be very suspicious of those in leadership. We often assume that leaders are always up to something and that they have a hidden agenda, that they only want to use their position for their own good rather than the good of those they lead. Because of this, many people don't trust leaders. And can become deeply cynical about the idea of leadership. And to be fair, we've all heard plenty of stories that give us cause to think this, haven't we? Stories of leaders abusing their power. Of leaders mistreating and hurting people. Of self-serving leaders only looking out for themselves. And of leaders failing morally. This is not a new phenomenon that's just cropped up in recent years. History is filled with examples of bad leaders, and so is the Bible. The story of Scripture is littered with corrupt kings, wicked priests, and false teachers. And yet, God's answer to bad leaders has never been to have no leaders, but to give us good leaders. Good leaders are a gift of God. In fact, God made you and I to be led. Do you ever think about that? All of us were created to be followers because he made us to follow him. So in his kindness, God not only leads us himself, but he gives us leaders for our good. And as we do get to the end here of Peter's letter to these exile Christians, this group of believers where he's been teaching them how to live in a land that's not their home, Peter recognizes the importance of leadership for God's people. In particular, as we come to this passage about leaders, I don't want you to forget the context. Sometimes we just jump in here and forget that this is in the middle of a letter. Notice that the passage even begins with the word, so. Or maybe your translation says, therefore. In other words, what we're talking about this morning is connected to what Peter was just talking about last time. So what's Peter been talking about? Suffering. He's just told us that we should rejoice and glorify God in our suffering as Christians. Because the purifying judgment of God is coming and will begin with us, we should entrust our souls to our faithful creator while doing good. And then Peter says, so, and he focuses in on leaders. Why? It's most likely because of two reasons. The first is because during times of trial and suffering, it is more important than ever to have the right kind of leaders. When things are going well and smoothly, it feels like things are on autopilot. It almost feels like, do we even need leaders? But when things get hard, that's when the weight of leadership is felt and needed most. We need the kind of leaders that Peter describes here, happy, holy, and humble leaders. That's one reason I think he goes to leaders. The other reason I think Peter addresses leaders here is because Peter knows that as suffering comes to the church, guess who it's going to come to first of all and worst of all? The leaders. So he wants these leaders to know how to lead when the suffering comes. Now before we look at what Peter says to these leaders, I I do want to say a word about why this passage matters for all of us. Because I'm not oblivious. I know how tempting it can be to hear the passage or read it ahead of time and see, okay, this one's going to be about elders. I'm not an elder. I'm never planning to be. So what does this have to do with my life? I understand that. I know that goes through some minds. So I'm going to give you five quick reasons why this passage matters for all of us. Okay. First, because it's in the Bible. Okay. All scripture is breathed out by God and is useful for teaching, correcting, rebuking, and training in righteousness so that we may be complete, equipped for every good word, good work. In other words, God said it, therefore we need it. That's reason number one. Second reason, because it's important for the health and life of the church. If we wanna be the kind of church God wants us to be, We need to follow his instruction for how the church is to be led. Ephesians 4 says Jesus gives elders to the church as a gift. And so if Jesus gives you a gift, that makes it kind of a big deal. Third, it's important because it helps us understand Jesus, our chief shepherd. By looking at what God calls his under-shepherds to be, it helps us get a little better picture of what Jesus, the chief shepherd, is. Much in the same way we've been talking this morning about how when we get a picture on an earthly level of what a good father looks like, it helps us see what God is like as a father. In our passage, as we see what God calls shepherds to be, we realize what our good shepherd is like. Fourth, if you are a member of a church, you are responsible for your leadership. You are responsible to vote elders into their roles. So this passage helps you know what should i look for in an elder and it helps you know how to pray both for your current elders that they would be this kind of shepherd but also the kind of things you're asking god to raise up in future elders say god would you give us more of these kind of men and that's the last thing for some of you in this room god will call you one day to serve as an elder and this passage helps give you a vision for what that means, what it looks like, and the kind of man an elder must be. So one of my prayers as I got ready this week is, God, would you use this passage to plant or deepen a desire, and some of you sitting out there today, to aspire to be an elder one day. So this passage matters for all of us. I want you to keep that in mind. And with that in mind, let's dig in and see what we learn about God's design for church leaders. Here's our outline. So you kind of have a roadmap of where we're going. Now, there's six points. Don't be alarmed because they're going to be unequally weighted. Some will be very brief, and we'll camp out in a couple of them more than others. So here's where we're going. First, we'll see that this is a letter, or this is a message from one elder to fellow elders. Then we'll see what the task of an elder is, the heart of an elder, the reward of an elder. And then we'll close by looking at the congregation's posture toward elders And the church's dress code. Hopefully that piques your curiosity. So stay tuned. That's at the very end. So let's look at verse 1 though. Here we see who this word is to and who it's from. Look there. So I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. As well as a partaker in the glory that is going to be revealed. Okay, so first we see who this leadership advice is written to namely the elders among you so let's just pause and let's fill that word out some of you have heard this some of you this might be new concepts about what are these things called elders so here's a few things and because I'm a pastor I made sure they all started with a P okay so you can track with me first elders are pastors in the New Testament there are three words that are used interchangeably for the same role pastor elder overseer those are not three different offices but one in fact i don't know if you caught this it's a little hard in the english but we actually have all three of those words in our passage look down there in verse one it addresses elders but then in verse two it tells them to do two things first shepherd which is the word pastor and second exercise oversight so you've got elder pastor oversee so when we talk about elders we're talking about pastors in fact it's it's worth noting just last week our denomination the southern baptist convention had their big convention as they do once a year and they actually updated our statement of faith to include the word elder saying that pastors are elders Because it was unclear before, but now it's crystal clear. So just, this is noteworthy. So first, elders are pastors. Second, elders have prerequisites. Prerequisites. Meaning it's not left up to us to decide, what kind of leaders do I think would be good for a church? What things would I look for? God says, no, no, no. I am giving you specific qualifications for elders that you can find in 1 Timothy 3 and Titus 1. Now, one of those prerequisites is that God has said that the office of elder is limited to men. God created men and women equally in his image, but with different and distinct roles and functions. And this is really important. There are all sorts of ways that the ministry of women in the church is absolutely essential and valuable. But the office of pastor or elder God has limited to qualified men Now what's fascinating about the other qualifications for elders is that most of them have not to do with skills but character It's not a resume of well is he good at this can he do that what does he have experience in that it's more about what kind of a man is he And all of the qualifications except two are qualities that all Christians are called to pursue One guy says, what's so extraordinary about the qualifications is how ordinary they are. An elder is simply to be a model of what the normal Christian life is to look like. The only two unique qualifications for an elder that are different than every Christian is one, he must not be a recent convert, meaning he must have been walking with the Lord for a season of time, and second, that he must be able to teach. As we'll see more in a minute, teaching is absolutely central to what an elder does. So it makes sense that he must know and be able to clearly and helpfully communicate the truth of God's word to others. That's the second. Third, elders are plural. Plural. Notice in our passage, Peter doesn't write to any particular elder, but to the elders with an S. Throughout the New Testament, Elders are never mentioned as a single elder, but always as a group of godly men leading together. And there, if you think about it for even a moment, there's so much wisdom in that, isn't there? There's greater wisdom, greater accountability, greater stability for a church, greater help for each elder, and greater balance when there's multiple elders instead of only one. Fourth, elders are pervasive, pervasive, What I mean is that when you look at your New Testament, churches were consistently led by elders everywhere. This wasn't unique to one or two churches. In Acts 14.23, it says Paul appointed elders in every church. And in Titus 1.5, he tells Titus to appoint elders in every town. So in our passage, remember, Peter's writing to a collection of churches scattered over a wide geographic area. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. So this big region. And yet, as he writes to this wide group of churches, he can safely assume that each church he's writing to would have elders among them. Which is the fifth thing we see about elders. Elders are particular to a local church. Did you notice that phrase, among you, shows up twice there? Peter refers to the elders among the people, in verse 1, and then the flock of God among the elders, in verse 2. His point is that a particular group of elders belongs to a particular congregation of God's people. They are given responsibility for those particular people, not those in other churches, and in our day and age, not those on the Internet. And the people are called to follow those particular elders, not pastors on the internet or other churches there's a relationship between particular elders and a particular people now at this point my guess is many of you are getting nervous because we've been going this long and i've covered two words that's okay i'm not going to make a joke about it's going to be longer but it's not but now we've seen that we are going to go a little bit faster It's two words We've seen who this message is to, elders. Now look at who it's from. Do you notice Peter describes himself in three ways. First, he's a fellow elder. And this is actually really significant. Don't forget that Peter is an apostle. I mean, one of only 12. He told us that at the very beginning of the letter, but here he doesn't remind them, say, hey, I'm speaking to you all as an authoritative apostle. Instead, he humbly calls himself a fellow elder. He's saying, listen, what I'm about to tell you elders, listen, I get it. I understand the responsibilities you have and the fears and the pressures that you face. I'm speaking to you as a brother pastor, as one of you. Then he calls himself a witness to the sufferings of Christ. And people think have a couple different ideas about what he might mean by that. And here's what I think Peter's saying, though. He's pointing back to what makes his eldering possible and what gives elders their pattern. See, Peter was there when Jesus suffered. So he, he literally was a witness in that sense. But don't forget that in the midst of Jesus' sufferings, Peter failed miserably. He fell asleep as Jesus agonized in prayer. I mean, that was, Jesus was suffering in prayer. And there's Peter sound asleep. As Jesus was preparing to be crucified, Peter denies him three times. And yet, it was those very sufferings that he witnessed that paid for Peter's sins and failures. The only way Peter or any of us can be forgiven is because Jesus suffered in our place. And you've got to remember that every elder in every church is a sinner just like everyone else. And the only way that Peter or any elder can be restored to Jesus and called to serve his church is only through the sufferings of Christ. His sufferings made Peter's ministry possible. And they provided a pattern for him and all elders to imitate. That's why we just heard, entrust your souls to a faithful creator while doing good. He's saying, so elders, do that. In light of the sufferings of Jesus, entrust your souls to him while you suffer for doing good. The last thing Peter tells us there is that he knows suffering is not the end of the story though. Because while he looks back to Christ's sufferings, he also looks ahead and he says, "I'm a partaker, I'm a sharer in the glory that's going to be revealed." In other words, he's not Peter's not a despairing, down in the mouth, discouraged elder. He's filled with living hope as he keeps his eyes firmly fixed on the joy and the glory that will be his when Jesus returns. And it's in light of that hope, he says, listen, fellow elders, I've got a word for you. So now, now that we know that Peter's talking as a fellow elder, as one elder to his fellow elders, what is it that he wants them to know? What is the the burden he wants to give them, the task of an elder? Look at verse 2. I'm going to pick up from verse 1 so we hear it in context. So I exhort the elders among you, shepherd the flock of God, that is among you, exercising oversight. Friends, this is the supreme task of an elder. If you say, what what is an elder? Above everything else, an elder is a shepherd. His task is to care for the flock of God among him. How does he do that? He knows the sheep. He feeds the sheep. He leads the sheep and he protects the sheep. All of that is bound up in that one word, shepherd. And all of that is what elders are called to do. They are to know the members of the church, to know their strengths, to know their struggles, to know them not just as names on a list, like, okay, here's all the people in the church, but to know them as sheep that they love and tenderly care for. Elders are to feed the sheep with the truth of God's word. They feed the church by preaching and teaching gospel truth to strengthen the hearts of God's people. Now that happens in formal settings like a sermon or in a classroom, but it also happens a lot over coffee and meals and conversations after church. Elders are always looking for ways to set a feast of biblical truth before God's people. The elders also protect the sheep both from sin and from false teaching. When sheep start to stray, just like Jesus, they go after them and try to bring them back. And when the sheep won't come back, they protect the purity of the church by leading in the process of church discipline. When false doctrine shows up in the church, the elders expose it and say, that's not right, and then they patiently instruct in what is true. When wolves appear in our midst and try to lead people astray or try to sow division in the body, the elders resist them and guard the flock. And finally, the elders are to lead the flock. A shepherd, what does a shepherd do? He tries to keep the sheep moving in the right direction toward a pasture that's filled with food, that's free from danger, and where the flock can thrive and multiply and to get them there at a pace the flock can handle. And elders are called to do that with the church by making wise decisions, by equipping the saints for the ministry, and by giving godly counsel. The elders are meant to be out in front, leading the way and setting the direction so sheep can follow their voice, not behind the sheep, driving them on with prods like cattle. That leading is also part of what it means to exercise oversight. To oversee the flock is to have responsibility for them. To have that authority to lead them and the accountability to watch over them. And all of that, I know it's a lot, we're going quickly there, but all of that is what Peter says the elders of the church are called to do. They are to shepherd the flock of God among them, exercising oversight. But that's not all Peter has to say. He doesn't just say, hey, here's your job, go do it. Because God cares not just what his leaders do, but he cares how they do it. That's why after Peter tells us the task of an elder, he then tells us about his heart. How should an elder shepherd God's flock? And to help us understand it, Peter gives us three pairs of contrasts. He says, it's not like this, but like this. And so I rephrased each of these to try to make the ideas maybe stick a little clearer. So go ahead and if you have that slide, throw these up. These are kind of like subpoints points of, of what the heart of an elder is. You're good. There we go. So how is he to shepherd? We're going to look at these in order. He's a shepherd, not grudgingly, but gladly. He is to be not greedy to get, but eager to give. He is to not lord over, but lead by example. So let's look at those. First, look back at verse 2. Peter says elders should shepherd not under compulsion, but willingly as God would have you. Or as I put it up there, elders should shepherd not grudgingly, but gladly. Here's the deal. You shouldn't have to force or pressure someone to become a pastor. If you're nagging them and relentlessly saying, "No, I really we'd really love for you to do this. I think you should do it. I think you'd be good at it." You shouldn't have that person he shouldn't do it reluctantly just to feel like he's doing his duty. Instead, an elder should want to do the work. He should love what he gets to do. In fact, the very first qualification that Peter I'm sorry that Paul lists in 1 Timothy 3 is that he desires the task. So none of the other stuff matters if you don't get out of the gate with him wanting to do it. In fact, a man may have godly character He may know his Bible forwards and backwards, inside and out, but if he doesn't want a shepherd, he should not be an elder. Because God wants cheerful shepherds, men who willingly and gladly teach and lead and care for the people of God, not men who only do it because they feel like they have to. As one writer put it, Christ grabs his pastors by the heart. He doesn't twist them by the arm. That's why one way to identify potential shepherds, when we look out and say, okay, I wonder who else maybe God is preparing or equipping, when we look out at our congregation, look at who's already shepherding. Because elders don't just shepherd once you give them a title, they're given a title to recognize the fact they're already shepherding. We're just calling them what they are. And the thing about these shepherds is they can't help themselves. They love Jesus, they love his people, and it gives them joy to shepherd people in the truth. I love how one person put it. He was describing what it means that an elder must be able to teach. He said this, we don't want a man who doesn't really love to teach, but will if you put a gun to his head. We want the kind of man who will hardly stop teaching even if you put a gun to his head. As he learns, he wants to teach. As he studies, he thinks about teaching. He breathes teaching. We might say he's a teacher at heart. A pastor who is able to teach is not just able to teach if necessary, but rather eager to teach when possible. And in the same way, Peter's telling us an elder should shepherd not just reluctantly when necessary, but happily whenever possible. He should shepherd gladly, not grudgingly here's the other thing i want to point out here there's a flip side to this actually we're going to do this for each of these three there's a flip side to all three of these ways that peter tells elders how to shepherd for each of them there's also a corresponding command found elsewhere in the bible for how the congregation is called to play their part so let me show you what i mean so on one hand elders are called to shepherd gladly and willingly right Now listen to what Hebrews 13, 17 says to the church. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. So in other words, elders, shepherd gladly. Church, let them keep watch over your souls with joy. And not with groaning. Do you see there's this beautiful dance here. 1 Corinthians 1 24 says. Elders are to work with you for your joy. So elders work for the joy of the church. And the church helps them do that with joy. Therefore elders shepherd the flock of God gladly. Second. Elders should shepherd in a way that's not greedy to get. But eager to give. Look at the end of verse 2. It says, not for shameful gain, but eagerly. In other words, the question that drives elders is not, so what's in it for me? But rather, what can I do to help? In Ezekiel 34, God rebukes the leaders of Israel for failing to do this. He said this, thus says the Lord God, ah, shepherds of Israel who've been feeding yourselves, should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back, the last you have not sought. God rebukes them because he says, you guys are only in it for yourselves. They were using the sheep for their own gain. But Peter says elders are not to be greedy like this. They're not to just simply collect a paycheck or be motivated by what they get out of the deal. They shepherd eagerly because they love the sheep. They're motivated not by money, but by their sheer love of the work. Now, this doesn't mean, on the other hand, that pastors shouldn't be compensated. It just means that shouldn't be their motivation. 1 Timothy 5:17 says, Let the elders who rule well be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, You shall not muzzle an ox when it treads out the grain, and the laborer deserves his wages. So again, do you see we have a correspondence? An elder is not supposed to be in it for what he can get out of it. And a congregation is to make sure that he's taken care of. And I just want to say, we are very blessed in this church. I am grateful that you guys take such good care of me and my family. So that I don't have to worry about this. That I can do it with joy and not with wondering, will there be enough? So thank you for caring for us. An elder should be not greedy to get, but eager to give. And the third way Peter shows us here is he says, An elder should not lord over others, but lead them by example. Look at verse 3. Not domineering over those in your charge, but being examples to the flock. In other words, elders are not to use their authority to lord over the people in their care, but to lead them by way of example. This is important because people are often drawn to positions who have a hunger for power. They see a title and they think, oh, I want to do that. In fact, one person used an illustration. There's a difference, right? If you talk to a little kid... And you hear them say, like, oh, when I grow up, I want to be a daddy. Why do you want to be a daddy? So I can be the one that makes all the decisions and tells, tells people they're in trouble. You're like, okay, that's, I, don't, I don't know if that's okay. Versus the child who says, I want to be a daddy. Why do you want to be a daddy? Oh, because I want to take care of, take care of my kids, and I want, to, I want to get to give them good things and love them. Like, two very different motivations, right? Man, I'm, I'm excited for, for junior number two. Junior number one, I'm a little nervous for his kids, Right? In the same way, Peter's saying that here. He's saying, shepherding is not for people who just want to have power or be in charge. It's about being willing to say, imitate me as I imitate Christ. It's about serving those in your charge. Jesus told his disciples the same thing. You remember this situation? They they wanted positions of power in the kingdom. They're like, this is gonna be good. We know Jesus. So how about one of us sits on your right, one of us sits on your left. We'll kind of be your co-rulers. This will be great. Being an elder is not about using your authority to domineer over people. It's about using your influence to serve them and be an example to them. It's not standing over people saying, you better watch out and do what I say. It's standing in front of people saying, watch me and do what I do. And guess what? There's a corresponding call to the congregation. The elders are called to be examples and in Hebrews 13, 7, we read, Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So elders, be an example. Church, imitate their example. And all of this points us to Jesus, our chief shepherd. How? Because Jesus is a glad shepherd, not a grudging one. He loves his sheep. When we wander away, he leaves the 99 and he goes to find us. And when he finds us, you know what Luke 15 tells us? It says he lays us on his shoulders rejoicing. Jesus isn't in it for shameful gain, but he's eager to feed the sheep. In Mark 6, when Jesus looked out at the big crowd, it says he had compassion on them because they were harassed they were like sheep without a shepherd so when Jesus sees them lacking a shepherd what does he do he began to teach them he fed them with the truth and then after he fed them with the truth and they were still there he says you know what we got five loaves and two fish I'm going to feed them with another kind of food Jesus is the opposite of the greedy shepherds in Ezekiel 34 they use the sheep for their own gain. Jesus gave himself for our gain. He does what those shepherds failed to do. Jesus strengthens the weak. He heals the sick. He binds up the injured. He brings back the strayed and he seeks out the lost. He didn't domineer over us and insist that we serve him. Instead, he came to serve us and to give his life as a ransom. He died that we might live. On that cross, as Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. For every sin of us rebellious sheep was on him laid so that we could say, here in the death of Christ I live. And he didn't do that, friends, under compulsion. He didn't do it kicking and screaming, reluctantly sighing. He, he did it gladly. It was for the joy set before him that he endured the cross. Jesus is the good shepherd. He knows his sheep. He feeds his sheep. He leads us. He protects us. He lays down his life for us. And one day he's coming back to bring us to the green pastures of glory and lead us beside the crystal waters of the rivers of life. And it's that day Peter points elders to as their reward. Look at verse 4. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the unfading crown of glory. Jesus, when he comes, it says he is the chief shepherd. In other words, the flock belongs to him. Elders, we're merely under-shepherds. We care for his sheep. And when the chief shepherd appears... Elders will be rewarded for their labors. They will receive an unfading crown of glory. Peter's comparing them to crowns of this day that you would get for either winning an athletic competition or sometimes doing some great civic deed. You would get these little crowns made out of leaves. But I don't know if you've ever had leaves. They don't last a whole long time. He's saying, he actually uses a word. There was a particular flower that was red and it didn't lose its color. It just stayed red and red and red. And so that word for that red flower is actually when it says unfading, he's saying it's a crown like that, that unlike the leaves that'll brown and wither, he says your crown is not fading. He's reminding pastors not to be motivated by temporary rewards or discouraged by temporary hardships, but to keep their eyes on the never-ending glory of the reward that awaits them. Quite simply, that's what keeps pastors in the ministry. I don't know if you ever read the current statistics, but they're not good for pastors leaving the ministry. But what keeps pastors in the ministry with all the pressures, all the hardships, all the things that could go wrong, is the reward that awaits when their chief shepherd appears. And that's what Peter wants to give them joy in shepherding. It says, look to the reward. So that's what he says to the shepherds, but now what about those that they're leading? How should a congregation respond to their elders? Look at verse 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger be subject to the elders. So the likewise, he's connecting that back to saying, like, I exhort you. It's connecting back to the exhort commands. He's saying, just like I exhorted the elders to shepherd, now likewise I'm exhorting you who are younger be subject. Now Peter singles out one particular part of the congregation here, those who were younger, most likely younger men in particular. Most commentators agree that the only reason he does this is because then and maybe now is those who are younger might be more inclined not to submit to their elders. So he says, listen, even you who are least likely, you need to submit. But really, the admonition applies to the whole congregation. As the elders humbly shepherd the congregation, the congregation is to humbly submit to their leadership. Which brings us to the last point, the church's dress code. In all your roles in the church, in every interaction, and in every relationship, we are all to put on humility. Toward one another. Look at the end of verse 5. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility toward one another. For God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. In other words, what we want to hear is that the dress code of the church is humility. All of us are to put it on and wear it and all that we do. And we're going to talk, we're going to spend more time talking about this humility next week because It both kind of ends this and it begins the next section. But I wanted to include it today because I think it helps tie the whole passage together. Because on one hand, elders are to shepherd the flock of God in humility. Looking forward to the reward of the chief shepherd. And on the other hand, the church is to submit to the elders also in humility. Working with them for one another's joy as we follow the good shepherd together. Waiting for the day he appears. And when he appears, here's what we find in Revelation 7 The Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd, and he will guide them to springs of living water, and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. So until he comes, God raises up elders to shepherd his church in humility and he calls the flock of his hand to submit to those elders also in humility would you pray with me father as we began this i acknowledge that leadership is not something that's always prized in our day and age but god i pray that we would be different in the church Lord, we've seen throughout this letter how being a follower of Jesus calls us to a posture of humility and submission. We've seen that in submission to the governing authorities. We've seen it to those who are over us in employment and other fields. We've seen it in marriages. And God, now we see it within the church. Lord, would you make us a people that don't see authority as a dirty word, but as a a glorious word, a word that you have given us for our good. And God, I pray that you would help the elders of this church to be the kind of elders Peter calls us to be here. That you would help us to do it gladly and eagerly and that we would do it for the joy set before us and the reward that is coming. And Father, I do pray now that you would equip and raise up many more men in this congregation to be elders or would you make them the kind of men who are eager for the task of shepherding your sheep and god would you help all of us to remember that at the end of the day we are made to be followers that you made us to be your sheep to know and follow your voice and so would we do that gladly would we entrust ourselves to you our faithful creator while doing good We ask all this in Jesus' name and all God's people said, amen.